0: Well, um, we didn't mention it when we were praying about things that are heavy on us or just on our minds. Um, I did want to, if you didn't see our emails, um, our email after Wednesday, when we just asked each of you to pray for Mike Holmes and his mom, um, who was rushed to the hospital. She was unresponsive, and um, the latest update that I got from Mike is um, that she was doing much better. She actually was responsive. She said his name. Um, she was interacting, and they'd moved her from ICU to a regular room. And so um, that's the latest. If any of you got an update more than that, you can tell it to me right now. Um, but, but know that. And I know that Mike felt good enough with the care that was being given to her, that um, something he was already scheduled to do with his wife, He got back here and then woke up yesterday really early and went with her down to the hill country. So pray for Mike. Um, He may be um, a pile and a mess when he gets back, um, but that's what we're here for, right? To be here for one another. So I just want to thank God for that and then pray for our time in the word. Lord, we are grateful again for your grace, your mercy, and the care with which you care for us. Thank you for... <clears throat> that we don't have to try to twist your arm to care. Lord, Lord, that you know all that we need. You know our frailties. You know our weaknesses. And and you knew um, what Mike's mom needed in terms of care. Uh, we know that she's in a regular room, or we, we, she has been in a regular room. We know that that doesn't mean that there aren't still more difficulties and ups and downs. And so we pray for your grace to abound, um, to... Bring about patience, um, to, uh, even for his mom, Brenda, to behave with the doctor's um, plan of treatment and care and, and so forth. And pray that you would sustain and perhaps even use this uh, time today in the Hill Country with Meredith and, and a few others um, just to encourage and to put wind in their sails and be reminded of your goodness, your faithfulness. As we open your word, Lord, and we consider something we don't often consider, pray, Father, you might give us receptive hearts through attentive ears so that you might have us as your worshipers as we leave this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout um, this year, we will pause whatever sermon series we're in. We're currently in a portion of Luke um, to give... Um, attention to a once-a-month preaching and practicing series that we're calling "Practicing the Witness and Way of Jesus." Um, practicing the witness is another way to say abide in Him, and what does that look like? And what I can tell you is that won't look like just up in my headspace; that it will be an embodied practicing His presence. Um, Yes, often that's reminding ourselves of his presence, but then also how do we put ourselves in his path? How do we follow the ways of Jesus um, to enjoy and cultivate that relationship? Each month we'll teach on and test drive. That is the encouragement. Um, It's not mandated to you, but it is, hey, let's test drive this practice out. For some of you, they're going to be brand new. Some of you, I've been doing these for decades kind of deal, but we can always tune in to the Lord through these practices. And we're doing this, teaching and test driving on a different spiritual practice, habit, rhythm, discipline, whatever you want to call it, Um, rhythm of renewal, because ours is an embodied faith. Our very mission statement at this church It's Christ's great commandment, great commission. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself and make disciples. But our mission actually is not just that. It's to live out his great commandment and great commission. Live out entails embodying it. Embodying loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Embodying loving my neighbor, which would mean actually getting to know or be around my neighbors. And yes, I know the passage and prove to be a neighbor with whomever God brings me in their path of, and to embody the seeking out of living out what it looks like to make disciples, and as we would say, to be a disciple-making ambassador, to represent that one that we're celebrating, enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and who will go to a cross in our place, and who will rise again, and who has ascended, and he's returning. He is our Savior, He has bought us with a price and therefore my whole life is his. And these are simply ways to practice that because we have some things operating against us, the world system, the flesh, and the devil that would say, no, why don't you be more allured with these things? This is when you really grab hold of life. This is where the real gusto is. In fact, Satan would love for you to say, that's right. You got your ticket punched to heaven take it easy, enjoy, enjoy. God would tell you to enjoy, but not in the same deceptive ways. And so these practices help us not go the false way. And we've already looked at some of those, but each one will be one that we're encouraging to test drive so that we might embody our faith. Because following Jesus, particularly in a Bible church that has brown chairs in an old Walmart, we can tend to lean toward when we're in the Buckle of the Bible belt, we can lean toward my Christian faith is to show up and sit in a row and nod. Yes, please nod. Not nod off. You can occasionally, I understand. But we think if I nod on the right ways and note take on great sounding things and have my doctrinal statement squared away, I'm good. And Jesus would say, Oh, I've invited you to life and life to the full, and that is not it. Yes, try to stay awake, take some notes, but, but may it be because we are seeking to go, Lord, what do you want me to do in response to your word? What do you want me to do in response to your person? What, do you, what would you encourage and invite? What are you inviting me to to cultivate this relationship that you gave your life for? And this month, <clears throat> we are inviting us every one of us, into the the practice of fasting. Mm. We all have that response, or most of us have that response, because as one guy was reading, he said, fasting is the kale of the spiritual disciplines. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we know it's good for us, but we ain't searching for it on the menu, okay? Okay. I think I accidentally had kale yesterday. (laughs) Accidentally. Tastes like dirt. Um, Anyway, here's what I want to tell you. My wife, she's not here, so I get to use one of my favorite words because I think this is so much of what we want in the Christian life. We don't want it to be this, what it seems like a lot. Well, yeah, I I know what it is, but mostly it's just boring. My favorite, one of my favorite terms to use is visceral. So day isn't here. So I might say it 38 times. Okay, But I would tell you that of the spiritual practices, disciplines, whatever you want to call them, fasting may be the most visceral. Some of us don't know. You need to look up right now. What does visceral mean? Well, I'll give you, you you understand it because when you're in a certain place and something hits you, um, you hear some really awful news about a loved one. You have a visceral response. It's not just cognitively. Boy, I heard that my loved one has been diagnosed with cancer, or that my child is in a really hard place, or whatever. You feel it all over. Fasting is the spiritual practice that you will and I will feel all over. Now, it's not just feeling, it will hit our minds. And it will get into the nooks, the crannies, the depths of our desires and longings. Fasting, when entered into, can do quite a work on us. And I would tell you, it's a redemptive and gracious work. And not one to go, ugh, fasting. Now, that being said, it is a discipline. It is a, I need to take this step, and then I need to not be tempted to, I mean, I'm going to be tempted, but not leave. I need to take the next step, whatever, that kind of deal. We need to follow through with it in embodied practice. Um, Here's another reason why I say visceral. Uh, It's because it involves not just body, it involves your appetites, your longings, your desires, your nerve endings. And fasting tests what matters most to me and you. And it trains us to love God, not partially, but with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our first three practices in January was prayer, and February was meditating on Scripture. And the third one this past month in March was confession. Fasting, I want to tell you this, is not a solo practice. Fasting actually must be practiced in conjunction with at least these three practices Otherwise, it's just a weight loss plan or a willpower religion thing, okay? For fasting to be Christian, or as Jesus would encourage it, it's not going to be just, well, just hold off on eating. There has to be a bigger why. (laughs) There has has to be uh, that which has greater depth than let me skip a few meals, all right? Also, I need to repeat this one corrective caution. We'll say this in various ways each month. We come to it. But none of these spiritual practices are ways to get things from God. We don't pray, so now we have God on the hook. And we don't fast, which means I'm super serious, God, to now you owe me. And let me say, that's very tempting. In fact, We don't have time to cover it today, but if you look at the chapter 58 in Isaiah, basically that's what they are saying to God. God's saying, hey, you're fast. I know you're fasting. That's not the kind I'm looking for because here you are saying, well, here we are. Here's what we did. Where are you? Why didn't A plus B equals C? That is for me. And God says, that's not the point. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, in fact, he mentions things uh, outwardly showing his love to neighbor, caring for the poor, working on, you know, justice for others, that kind of thing. He says, that's the fast I'm looking for. He says, what I want is an embodied whole life response to me. So we don't do it to get things from God. We also, you need to hear this. We don't do these things to save ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves before God. The gospel is clear. We are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God and his standards or what we deserve because of our sin is death or eternal separation from him. But the free gift of God, which is all it can be, we can't earn it, can't merit it. The free gift of God is forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ and him alone. So now these practices are ways for us to enjoy and to cultivate the relationship that he initiated, paid for, made happen And now we are bound to him forever. We are secured in him. And he says, now here's some ways that you can connect with, draw near to, tune into, connect with your Lord and my Lord. And as Paul would say in Philippians, and we can keep striving to grow, to gain him, to know him more and more, and to lay hold of that, which was he already laid hold of for us in Christ Jesus. In other words, The richness of the Christian life is found in truly following him, practicing his witness, practicing his ways, including, we're going to almost sound like we contradict ourselves in just a second, including the way of fasting. Because Jesus himself fasted before his temptation. But then as we get into it in just a second, you're going to be like, wait. But then he gets questioned for why he and his disciples don't seem to fast. Okay, so... To frame our time today, we're going to use two questions, utilize two questions to help us hear the essence, and I want you to hear the invitation, the essence and the invitation of Christian fasting. Those two questions are number one. Jesus was questioned, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Which means you're allowing it, you're for it. They're following your way because that's what you did with your rabbi. Your ways don't include fasting, but John the Baptist's disciples did, the Pharisees, lots of people were fasting. First question, why don't your disciples fast? And then the second is what we would ask today. Well, why would we fast? Why would we fast? Okay, so let's get into our central text. Turn to Matthew chapter nine. Um, Richard Foster, who's written um, kind of the, you know, one of the, Pillar books on spiritual disciplines, celebration of discipline. Um, he would say that this is the central text. John Piper, who's written a book called The Hunger for, or A Hunger for God, which talks about fasting and connecting with God through fasting and prayer, they both would say this is the essential, central passage on fasting. My mind would have jumped to Matthew 6, um, six which uh, we will cover very quickly. Um, But Matthew chapter nine, there's just four verses. um, In verses 14 through 17, let's see that first question. Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn, as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved." You can put that first verse back up, William. He, they ask, why, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, your followers, Jesus, do not fast? They're asking this because they did it on a very regular basis. Um, the Jews were commanded to fast once a year with the Day, day of Atonement. It was, and fasting is always connected to, or supposed to be connected to, prayer. That I'm foregoing food so that I might tune in and connect with my Lord. And on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they particularly are saying, we want to fast to repent from our sins, to declare our need for you, and that we are looking for the one who will atone for our sins and basically, the Day of Atonement was kind of like me with my old Mazda 626. It just barely kept the note from, and kept my car from being repossessed. The sacrifice on the Day of Atonement did not fully satisfy God's wrath. It just kind of kicked the note down the curb, uh, down the road. And for them, they would fast in that way. In fact, it says they afflicted themselves with fasting. It was a way to say, We are alert to our need for you, God, and we are looking for your provision of a savior. And so fasting, that was where it was commanded. And then there are many other times of fast where um, they would would declare them on various occasions. You see it all through scripture. You see Moses fasting. You see David saying, I humbled my soul through fasting. You see Nehemiah fasting. You see uh, Esther fasting. Um, There were times, often it's, Uh, Fasting would be associated with sorrow over sin, or uh, a way of of heightening, intensifying our lament over a loss, or it would in in the types of fasting would be personal, or communal. Often the community would come together and say, "We need to repent before God. We have gone our own way." Um, The Ninevites, nasty old Ninevites that Jonah didn't want to go to, non-Jews. When Jonah preached, you know, a very botchy sermon, God did something in them and they repented and they fasted. They were broken before the Lord. So often fasting is connected with sorrow over sin or particularly if they're needing, they're like, we need deliverance. So as a nation, they come together and God, we are fasting before you, please deliver us from the so-and-so ites. And so that was there. And then you have the Pharisees um, would, would fast on Mondays and Thursdays, I believe it was. And interesting, uh, one guy I was reading said, you know, that's fascinating that those are the days they chose to fast because those were the two main market days. Like we have market, you know, because therefore you have a greater uh, audience to impress with your religiosity. What does Jesus warn them about in Matthew 6? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Don't do as the Pharisees do who like, you know, the greetings, and they like to be um, esteemed and honored and seen for their, their spirituality. He's saying just guard against that. But they did that on Mondays and Thursdays. Christians, as tradition went forward, I'm not sure exactly why, but it seems like Wednesday and Friday, through the history of the church, believers in Christ and part of the church fasted as a regular practice. And maybe they chose that just to say, we, um, Christian fasting is different than the traditional old covenant relationship with God kind of fasting. And we also don't want to be associated with those looking to, you know, look good in front of others. So they chose Wednesday and Friday, maybe. But we know that it's part of and been part of fasting. And in Jesus, when he addresses it in Matthew 6, he assumes fasting. Fasting was commanded for the Israelites. Fasting is not commanded, but it is highly commended. I want you to hear that. That's why I want you to hear it as an invitation. I don't want you to hear it as a mandate. Go and do this and go and do it twice a week. You're not going to hear that. Because what Jesus is saying is, I'm assuming, and when you do, approach it in this way, and for these reasons, and not, especially not to be seen um, by others. Let me say this. In, In the Bible, fasting is only mentioned in connection with food. It is the voluntary abstaining from eating food for a time, usually a very brief and limited time, for a spiritual purpose. Again, otherwise, it's religiosity, it's a weight loss plan, whatever, nothing wrong with, you know, if you need to do some things like that. But if we're going to call it Christian fasting, it's going to involve the foregoing of food. And when it was done normally, it would have been without food, but yes, with water. And, you know, it could have been for one meal. It could have been for a day for them. Some of their fast would have been sundown to sundown. Um, It could be for three days, could be for seven, 21, 40. Jesus fasted for 40. Jesus was probably an ultimate fast or an absolute fast, excuse me, um, where it was food and water. And that's where God supernaturally is working. That's not what we're recommending to you. Because even as you consider it, each of us will need to go, Lord, what are you putting on my heart just to test drive this out? But you may need to consult your doctor if you have, you know, Uh, Diabetic issues other health issues. You don't want to just cavalierly go I'm gonna fast and I'm going 20 days like no Again, that's that's my encouragement But I also want to want you to hear this we can fast what we're really doing in foregoing food is we're not saying food bad We're actually the scriptures would would lift up food is good and a good gift from God And we're to eat With joy we're to eat with gratitude Feasting and the Gospel of Luke, as we're going through it, it is replete with meaning it is all over the place. Jesus having meals with people. And what was Jesus' reputation? Why are they asking this question? Why do your, your disciples not fast? They noticed that, and they also had begun to spread the reputation, which is a false picture they're trying to paint of Jesus that he's not of God, but that, that he was just eating and drinking and a glutton and a drunkard and hanging out with sinners. That was his reputation. And so um, Jesus did eat and drink and he communed with people at table and he enjoyed the good gifts of God. So hear that, but I want you to hear this. We can fast from other good things um, alongside of food and drink. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some spiritual purpose. So today... I'm going to encourage us to consider, each of us to consider potentially fasting from one meal. I'm going to go ahead and say it now so don't forget. I want to encourage us to consider on Good Friday, you may already have a lunch plan, go to that lunch. Okay, don't, don't worry about it. But if you don't, consider a partial fast of fasting from lunch like you would normally eat it. Maybe some of you might go, hey, I, what I need though is probably to have a little bit of juice. Fine, whatever that is for you. But consider doing that this Friday on Good Friday as a way of saying, Lord, I want to just commune with you. I wanna draw near to you. And on the day that we remember your death, I just wanna commune with you and to say thank you and to, to be quiet before him and offer your heart to him in that way. And then I'd encourage you to break that fast, come here, let's eat together. You'll have a little bit of food because we'll have a, that tiny little nasty paper wafer and the uh, juice. We're going to take communion. Actually, I might substitute Hawaiian bread or something. I don't know. But we'll do that. But then I would encourage you with your family or with your life group, let's break this fast together. Okay. Go to roses, go to your house, whatever, and break that together. I just want to encourage you to test drive it in that way. Now that might not work for you, might not work for your schedule. No worries. But maybe you'd choose another time, um, uh, another lunch during the day or a dinner. But I would encourage you in any of these cases to include meditating on scripture and praying. I have no doubt that you will have opportunity as you even skip that one or replace that meal with praying, that confession will be brought as an opportunity before you. I have zero doubt that God will bring to mind if we're willing to be attentive those things that we probably ought to do some business with him about, confess, repent, etc. cetera, okay? So I jumped to the end. So we just want to end now. Yeah, a few more minutes. Um, so that was the first question. He's like, they're like, why do your disciples not fast? And Jesus is, is saying like, well, here's why. And he gives them three pictures. I've already mentioned that new wineskins. He's saying, here's why, because the bridegroom is here. And he put the next slide up. He's saying, and and imagine even in our culture, can you imagine going to a rehearsal, uh, your your son or daughter's getting married. uh, And let's just say if we're following tradition that this, your son is the one getting married. So tradition would say, you foot the bill for the rehearsal dinner. You got the easy one, easy bill. Um, and people come and they're like, well, well, I'm fasting. Or you're the you're the father, and mother, of the bride, and the next day on the wedding and the reception, like, well, no, no, I'm I'm fasting. I'm not. Like, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, no, this is a time to celebrate. What Jesus is saying is there are times to fast, but think how think how inappropriate and un and ill fitting it is when it's in a time for joy and celebration. And, and, and celebrating this couple or whatever. And you decide, ah, I'm going to be Eeyore. I'm, I'm going I'm to forego it. And he's like, no, there is a time for fasting. But the reason why, and this is theological, and just this is, lets us know that Jesus' arrival in his first advent is so central to all of history. He says, because you've always been waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. You've always been waiting for the Messiah to arrive. I am here. So an inappropriate time to fast is when the king is in your presence. When the bridegroom is with you, it's a time for feasting. I would say this, like a lot of the disciplines, I'm sure, when we, you know, we, when you sing the old hymn, when we all get to heaven, what a day of fasting that will be. We don't sing that. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And at least the Texas portion of that rejoicing is going to have ribeyes. And if it's coastal Texas, we're going to have some blackened shrimp, right? It, he's saying it's not appropriate. Why? Because Messiah is here. I am in your midst. That's what they didn't. They were already ruffled. Their feathers were already ruffled about that. They're already growing in hostility toward him. They are already on the road to rejecting him at this point in in Matthew 9. Not quite there yet in Matthew's gospel. But Jesus is saying, you need to recognize the times. And right now, they're not fasting because I am with them. And I am is the I am that you have been longing for and looking for. So it wasn't appropriate for them to fast at that point. But he says... And then they will fast when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he'll tell a parable toward closer to the last week of his life about a bridegroom returning. And will people be ready? Will um, those virgins have the lamps, the oil ready and lit? Are they ready for his arrival? And if you're not ready for his arrival, it will be a sad occasion. And he said, so when he's taken away... We fast, which part of what fastness does is it causes alertness. It causes my radar to be readied. And he's saying that's when it's appropriate to fast. So we're part of that then. From then, from first advent, after the ascension, after Jesus ascends, until his second advent, between advents, is the appropriate time to fast. All right, brings the second question. Well, why would we fast? Why would we fast? Well, I'm gonna give you a a couple of rat-a-tat-tats on this. Um, The first one is, and I said it's a a visceral discipline. The first thing is that fasting, if you wanna, this is now where you can note take, I would say, fasting rehearses. Fasting rehearses. It, first of all, um, brings the reminder of our need for God and that he is our sustainer. We rehearse that when we forego one meal, when we forego two meals, when we, maybe it's not a full meal, maybe we're, we're gonna cut out this for a time, whatever that is. We are rehearsing our need for him and we will viscerally feel that and we'll be rehearsing that he is our sustainer. And like Jesus said, when, the, when Satan tempted him, after his 40 day fast, Satan tempts him, hey, do this. Hey, you know, and Jesus says, no, no, no. And he says, man does not live by bread alone. When he tells him, turn these stones to bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. He doesn't say we don't need bread. He says, we don't, we don't live by bread alone. And then elsewhere he'll say, "My food is to do the will of my Father." Basically, God sustaining. He says, "There's a bread that is more necessary than your whole grain or whatever version you a sourdough you want. You need that, but there's a deeper, deeper bread, a deeper need, a deeper hunger that we have to be satisfied, and it can only be satisfied by God and from the Word that He." Um, Brings to to us, and so we're first of all, fasting helps us rehearse that we are sustained by Him. It also does affirm God's goodness, thankful for the gifts, but it helps us rehearse that so that we don't begin to love more the gift than the giver. Okay, fasting rehearses. Second thing, fasting surfaces. Or reveals, Richard Foster um, had, had said that, that fasting more than anything else reveals the things that control you and me. Why is that? Well, like I said, you fast one meal, you'll feel it. You fast two meals, you'll feel it. You fast three meals, you start to become unglued. Now, if you've never done it. And those nerve endings—it surfaces that there are things that we have allowed to control us. There are appetites that have become um, amplified in our understanding of their importance. So fasting surfaces those because they will surface. Um, I remember a U571, the Matthew McConaughey—they stole a German sub, and they're trying to stay deep, but. All of a sudden they can't, because the pressure and the sub's going to blow. I mean, as they're coming up, like at some point, you can't keep the sub from surfacing. And I'm telling you, when we enter into fasting with the right motivation and, can, and praying and seeking God, opening ourselves to God, because we've not eaten, because we've gone without something, it will surface those things which our appetites long for and crave. In Philippians 3, Paul says, hey, follow our example. Don't follow the example of these others whose God is their appetite. So whatever it is that we feel like, I feel like, boy, I can't make it through the day unless I have this. Fill in the blank. I can't make it through the day if I don't eat. If I, I can't make it through the day if I don't play Candy Crush. I can't make it through the day. That sounds silly, But that's a nerve-ending thing. And our nerve endings will start to feel it. And like that submarine, it's going to surface. And that's a good thing. Because it's surfacing what is competing for your heart. We can sing, you're the king of my heart. But where he is not, or where something is competing for that, it will show up. Um, As we fast Fasting also therefore as we surface it And we see where our loves are disordered Desires aren't wrong They just need to be ordered Then if it's surfaced And we confess that And we deal with that And we repent of that And we invite God into that And his help and his mercy The third thing is fasting frees us And trains us To reorder our loves or desires it frees us. Uh, Paul says this. Can you throw up the 1 Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians, um, Paul uh, says this, all things are lawful for me. All food is lawful, but not all food is necessary. Okay? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me. And here's the key, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything, meaning it rules me. It's actually too important to me. And again, think beyond food as well. If you're fasting from food, you will feel it. And that's a good thing. But the other fast I'm gonna encourage us to do in a couple weeks involves digital. I think that will actually unnerve more of us than the food. And I think it'll be really, really good for us if we're willing to embrace, as God surfaces, He wants. it's not to pound us about it, it's to free us from it and to say, return to your first love. Seek me first and all these things that are lawful and good, they'll be added to you in their proper place. But this allows us, it frees us and it trains us to reorder our loves and put things in their proper place. Uh, In addition to that, fasting sharpens our affections. And now being freed, it allows us to give ourselves to those things which matter more and matter most, which for the most part, we have desired to do them and maybe done them in fits and starts, but we have dulled those affections. We have have dulled the desires that God put in us to know him and to make him known and to, and to give our lives away in serving others in empathizing with those who hurt and moving toward instead of running from or shielding from, that we can have our affections that he made for him to be sharpened, to be more alive, if you will. Which brings me to the last one, fasting. And I get this from John Piper. His book is called a hunger for God, he would say at the core, what fasting is all about is homesickness. And he would say that fasting awakens our deeper hunger for God and our longing for home. And that's truly what it is. Also in Philippians 3, where Paul's saying, hey, watch out, don't let your belly be your God or your appetites be your God. He's saying, why is that? not just like try harder and don't, don't give yourself to those things. No, food is good, sex is good, friendships are good, work doing well in work is good, all that's good. Just don't let those become the ruling appetites of your life. Why? Because your citizenship is in heaven. That's why we use the term ambassador here. This is not our home. And, and fasting can enable us as he surfaces those things And then he frees us from the entanglement of things. And where those things that we run to, to dull our discomfort, to numb us. I mean, most of us, if we're honest, for years, we are just coping day to day. Now, a lot of days it's just hang on to God and hold on. Okay, But I think we also have trained ourselves when I feel uncomfortable, when I have to wait five minutes at the Olive Garden, let me grab my phone. Or if I have to wait an hour longer, I'm going to go nutso. And I need to show this. Put the, the hangry up there for me. One of my favorite commercial campaigns is Snickers. It says, who are you when you're hungry? But, but it talks about, oh, he's hangry again. She's hangry. Right. I just want to tell you, if you... Test-drive fasting. You're inviting the very likelihood of experiencing hangry, and it will be a gift from God. It won't feel like it. I mean, the commercials are like, all of a sudden you just become, and they'll put some celebrity, and they just can't deal with people, and they, and they give you a Snickers, and everything's solved. We know that's a silly thing, right? But it's brilliant because it's like, yeah, what they're doing is shifting us doing the harder work of really taking a look at what's deeper. Just, well, let me just eat and I'll be better. Yes, sometimes we just need to eat. That's how God made our bodies. But I can almost guarantee you, if you fast for a couple of meals, hangry will show up. But remember now, it's a gift from God because what he's wanting to show you is you have a deeper hunger in your life that can't be satisfied by the food you intake. And be willing and courageous to ask me what it is to seek that out and be tuned into me. And that's what Piper is saying. Fasting ultimately can awaken our deeper hunger and longing for God in our home with him. And I know if I mention you going home sometime, if you're, you've still got you know family, parents or grandparents living and you go elsewhere, you go down over the river and through the woods to grandma's house we go, I bet you, I, I'm fascinated, I love to ask this question. I ask it um, Friday night at a neighbor night out in our neighborhood because people were from different countries, Latvia, Ukraine. And I said, tell me your favorite. If you were going back home, what would be the meal you would want? Immediately, they're there. They're thinking of, you know, potato latkes, which I wouldn't want to eat. You know, <laughs> they're thinking of that favorite meal. They're thinking of their loved ones. And that's what I want you to hear. The invitation to this fasting is to consider the gift that it can be because it causes us to rehearse that this place is not our home, that our stomachs are not our sovereign, that God indeed is good and he provides you with something. You you realize how much more we will enjoy food and the people he's put in our life simply by reminding ourselves and rehearsing. It's a gift from God, but don't let me make the gift more important than the giver. And when he surfaces the hangry, be willing to hold on and say, God, meet me here. And, oh, my goodness, God, I can't believe I have those kinds of thoughts. can't believe that that bitterness is within me. Please forgive me. And in so doing, his grace will be abundant. And his mercy will be felt. And then, therefore, we can, in that small sacrifice, we're rehearsing what we're going to celebrate all this week. We're rehearsing that we have a gift that's greater than the gift of fasting and hangry, the gift of eternal life because of the sacrifice, the self-denial and sacrifice Jesus is willing to make on our behalf on the cross. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to rehearse that by singing the song Cornerstone. What I want you to pay attention to, if you don't get our emails, sign up for them. We'll send out an email this week that will have some of this as well as some tips on fasting if you've never done them, kind of some cautions, that kind of deal. And my encouragement would be, if you're willing, join any of us who would do it and just consider fasting on this Friday and during that meal, during that time, don't surf the internet and don't play Wordle and whatever else, pray. And when you feel uncomfortable, say, God, I feel uncomfortable. And when you feel a nerve, say, God, meet me in my nerve endings because I'm about to go crazy. But eventually say, also, Lord, I don't want to obsess about that. You have me here in this moment, and I have other friends and family as part of this church who are doing this. What do you want to do in my heart? And how can I respond to you? Would you stand? We're going to sing Cornerstone to the one who gave his life for you and for me. Worthy of our whole response.